0: Father, we just have so many things to thank you for, so many things, that, and yet, Lord, the greatest things, you bring comfort to our hearts, you give us direction through your word, and Lord, these are things that are not subjective, these are things that are not just uh, uh, part of something that we feel or think we should do, but Lord, your word is concrete, we can read it. And we can know what you would have us to do. And we can know your love and care. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We just want to praise you for caring for us, loving us, providing for us, answering prayers. Lord, we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz, Let's go back to the book of James once again. And uh, it does not seem like it's been 12 weeks in the book of James, but uh, we've been here since uh, summer. And uh, with other things going on, and uh, Lord willing, tonight we will uh, finish uh, the book of James. And uh, we have divided the book up into the commands. And uh, James has a way of always putting the word brethren in there when he wants to give us something, because he is uh, addressing this to believers in Christ. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 1, the first command, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. That is the first command, and that goes all the way uh, through uh, chapter two and chapter two, verse one, it says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with the respect of persons. So when we fall into diverse temptations, when things are difficult, come across our way, we are not supposed to despair. Uh, we're not supposed to be. Uh, I hope you're not of the number that do the oh, my God thing. Uh, I'll tell you, there are a few things that just frustrate me more than that. It's not God's fault. God is not trying to hurt you. Uh, according to the Bible, He is going to help you if you'll let Him. Uh, but uh, I, I am not part of the blame God first crowd. And uh, never hope to be. And the second thing is, my brethren, count it all joy. It says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. You know, God is not in the... Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the marketing business. Uh, I can't tell you how many times and how often I get stuff across my desk and offers to the church that, you know, we'll find the people that uh, belong in your church and we'll bring them to you. No, I'd rather let the Holy Spirit of God do that. Amen. Uh, we're not looking for a specific group of people. We're not targeting. We're, if you're part of the human race, uh, you're in our bullseye. Amen. Uh, you're part of who we're trying to reach. And, uh, you know, this idea of, of setting certain groups of people over others is not in the Bible. Uh, the next one we get to is verse. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipped. Uh, yeah, there we go. It's um, do not err in, in chapter one and verse 16. Uh, talking about the pattern of sin in our life, we, we've got to fight that. Then we don't have respect of persons, uh, which is the fourth command. I've got to look at my notes before I start here. And uh, verse 18, it says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And uh, I really believe that would erase about 75 to 80 percent of conflict in your life. If, if we could obey that command, it, there, there would be nothing that would discourage you if you could rejoice when diverse temptations come your way. Um, do not err, my beloved brethren. Uh, the third commandment is let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The fourth commandment is no respect of persons. The fifth commandment it starts in chapter 3. And verse 1, be not many masters. Stop trying to be in charge of everything. Uh, how many of you remember in school, there was always that one person in your class that was going to be in charge of everything that went on. Uh, they were always going to tell everybody else what to do. Does anybody remember that? Uh, anybody else have that problem? And uh, the, the Bible says... Not to be many masters. And it goes through the longest part of the, cha- of, of the book of James is dealing with that subject. Dealing with authority in our lives. And that goes the whole way from chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 7. I mean, verse 7 of chapter 5. And then we come to the last command. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Verse 8, he says it again. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. Now, it's interesting that he starts out saying in chapter 1 that we need to rejoice. Uh, We need to count it all joy when diverse temptations comes into our lives. Why? Because the tribulation, the problems that those temptations and those trials bring to our lives are going to work patience. And he ends the book by saying, be patient. You know, that's the hardest thing to do, is it not? I mean, we live in New York City. Is not New York City the city of lines? I mean, do you know anything that you don't have to wait for around here? Uh, I mean, you have to wait in line at Starbucks. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather wait in a line in Starbucks... In New York City than I would in Oklahoma City because there would be 25 people in front of you in line in New York City and you know you're getting a cup of coffee in about five seven minutes in Oklahoma City there's two people in front of you and you're gonna be there 20 minutes before you get your cup of coffee I'm just sharing my grief here no uh, my lack of patience We we need patience. I mean, how many things in your life wouldn't a little bit of patience solve? If you'd stop and think about it, how much trouble would a little bit of patience keep you out of? I mean, if you could just wait before you opened your mouth. Patience. If you could just say, I'm going to hold on to my temper this time instead of losing it. The only problem with losing your temper is you always find it again. Isn't that a problem? Uh, No matter how many times you lose it, it always comes back. The Bible says here that we need to be patient, therefore, brethren. And it gives us some reasons. And there are some dire circumstances in which this patience is, is dealt with here. If we read that last part of uh, of chapter 5, he he is talking about those rich people that uh, live in pleasure and have been wanton and have stolen and cheated and all of this. And it says, brethren, in spite of what everybody else is doing and getting away with. Just be patient. You know why? Jesus is coming back. I remember talking to a young man several years ago and he said, said to me, but you don't know what I'm having to put up with at home. And I said, well, listen, how old is your father? How old are you? How many more years are you going to be stuck in that home? Two or three. I said, you can handle two or three years. I said, just pull in your horns And and let your father be the man that he is and stop trying to make him into the man that you want him to be. And you'll find out you get along with him a whole lot better. It's not that much time. You know what? It's not that much time until Jesus comes back. The Bible says, wait, be patient because Jesus is coming back. There's an end to your patience. When Jesus comes back, you won't have to wait anymore. Amen? Now, I want to warn you, James believed Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. That was about 1900 and some odd years ago. So, there's no guarantee the Lord's going to make it back in your lifetime. But in God's time clock, that's still not a very long time. If you were to live to be 150, you'd break all the records. That we have in modern time periods. Isn't that true? But how long is 150 years compared to eternity? Uh, I think James put it this way. Like a vapor in the last part of chapter 4. That our life is not here that long. Be patient. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand unto the coming of the Lord. And he gives us an example. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Now, again, we believe in understanding our Bible Literally. How many of you know what the early rain is or the latter rain? See, that was something that happened in the land of Israel every year. Their growing season was a little different than ours. Uh, Their harvest would have actually been about the time that we here in the northeast start planting. And so their planting time would be in the fall. Uh, of our year and they would go out and that would be the early rain you see it's semi-arid over there somewhat uh, not tropical but uh, uh, much closer to the equator than we are here and uh, they would get rains that would soak the ground early in the year after the dead season was over guess what that did it would soften the ground so that they could till it. They didn't have John Deere and Ford and Massey Ferguson and all those big farm equipment like we do. I mean, when they were talking uh, horsepower, they were talking about horses, uh, which they most often didn't use. It was more of uh, uh, donkeys that they used. And uh, donkeys are wonderful, but they're not... Big, strong animals. They used oxen to pull a plow. How many of you have ever seen a real oxen walk? I mean, it could take you half a day just to get across the street following an ox. And that's all they had to pull the plows. That that early rain would soak the ground and soften it up so it could be plowed and sown. And then they had the growing season... And then just before the harvest, God had planned the seasons in Israel. It talks about he keeps his eyes on that land. And just before the harvest would come the latter rain. And it would ripen and bring the fruit and the harvest to perfection. You know what? If you were sowing and reaping in those days, you didn't have. An irrigation system built up and go out and fire up your little gas-powered motor and start pumping water from the river. If you didn't get the rain, you didn't get a harvest. Guess what? You prayed for rain. You wanted it to come. And God said, listen, the farmer has to wait for the rain. And it comes. And then... He can have the harvest. He says, you just wait. I mean, we can read things in our Bible today. Have you ever thought about this? And I'm sure you haven't been around here very long. Because I love thinking about things like this and preaching about it. But there are things in your Bible that people 50 years ago would have no idea what it talks about. But it makes perfect sense to you and I today. One of my favorites is in the book of Revelation. It says all the world is going to view the dead bodies of the two witnesses for three days. Do you know that 50 years ago that was impossible? You could hear about it on the radio, but you couldn't see anything. I mean, they had television, but the signals weren't all connected like they are today. Now, you can pull out a cell phone and press a button... And watch news while it's happening across the world, across the internet, instantaneously. You know what? God was exactly correct when He said the whole world's going to view this thing. But people didn't know how it was. We can see that today. Does that sound like God sending that latter rain and getting ready for the end of things? I'll tell you what it does to me. Uh, We need to be patient because Jesus is coming back. And let me tell you something. We don't know when he is coming back. It says in verse 8 that we need to be patient. Therefore, establish your hearts. Now. A lot of people don't like the old King James Bible because it's got all those hard words in there. And that's one of them. Uh, If you look in your outline, I I printed there uh, and uh, it it has at the end, OBS, period. Uh, That means obscure. That means it's not in common usage today. EXC means except in figurative context. Uh, The only time that people use this word in modern English is is, uh, basically in poetry or when they're uh, talking figuratively. But the word uh, was used regularly in 1611 when our Bible was translated. And all you need is a good dictionary. Look it up. Understand that it means to place or set a material thing firmly in position. To station a person in a place. So, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to take my heart and I'm supposed to set it firmly in position. Boy, that's not too hard to figure out now, is it? How do I do that? What am I supposed to set my heart firmly in position for? For the coming of the Lord. What's it say? For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I'm supposed to focus on the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to understand that Jesus could come at any time, even though he promised that he would come nearly 2,000 years ago. And he, uh, Paul said, uh, we which are alive and remain, uh, I get a little tired of these commentators trying to read Out of the Bible, things that are there. Paul said, I expect to be here when Jesus comes. And you know, every believer that has truly believed in what this book says, has expected Jesus to come in their lifetime. That's not some new thing that's just developed in the last couple hundred years. That's something that has been there, and maybe it was lost we, uh, 200 years ago. People just didn't pay much attention to those kinds of things. But I will tell you this, we need to establish our hearts in that. And it tells us in the next verse, if we're going to do this, guess what? Grudge not one against another, brethren lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. How would you like Jesus to come back and catch you in a fight or carrying a grudge against another Christian? You know what? We're going to be in heaven together. Uh, We don't know when that's going to be. Uh, You don't want your bucket full when Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen? I've got to pull them out. Don't give amens grudgingly here. (laughs) Especially when we're talking about carrying grudges. Amen? I mean, this just isn't the way it ought to be. It's so easy to get your attention off of Jesus and put it on that person that is frustrating you. The Bible says you don't have time to waste your life energy doing that. And by the way, God, the judge, standeth at the door. He's going to judge you for carrying the grudge just as much as he's going to judge the person who did the wrong things that you may think you have a right to carry a grudge about. You've got to give that to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what forgiveness is all about. And the Bible says if you're going to establish your heart, if you're going to build your heart, if you're going to set it, in a firm position so that it cannot be moved, you can't be grudging one against another. There is nothing anyone can do to you that you cannot give to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing anyone can do to you than that Jesus Christ has already paid for it on the cross. When he said, it is finished. And our God is just. He will judge every sin. Let's just make sure that we don't add to the list things that we have done. And carrying a grudge is certainly one of those things. It will take your attention. It will unfix your heart. And in verse 10, it says, take my brethren and the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, it's interesting here that James says, You take my brethren, the prophets. Now James was taking quite a bit on himself saying that, was, is he not? He's saying, my brethren, the people that I am peers with, the people who are part of who I am, I'm a part of that group that is called prophets. How about Moses? Elijah? Elisha? Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi? I mean, those were all prophets. How about Nathan who stuck his finger in King David's face and said, Thou art the man. Those were God's prophets. And James says, listen, I'm one of them. Why could he say that? Was James foretelling future events? No. He was foretelling God's word. He was giving us direct revelation from God just as much as Moses did when he was writing the words of this book. That's what James is saying. He's saying, now you look at Moses. You talk about somebody who suffered contradiction of himself and, and endured. I mean, how would you like Moses? How would you like to have been Moses? I mean, we just got through this in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. God called 70 elders of Israel and he gave each one of them just a little bit of Moses' spirit. And they could hardly control it. Took 70 men. Moses was quite a man, in God's estimation. But guess what? He says, I want you to take their example, and I want you to have patience. How about Job? Has anybody been more contradicted than Job was? Fallen farther from the richest man of the East to one of the most impoverished pulpers, only to be raised back again to double-time the richest man in the East? Had his own wife come and tell him, curse God and die? I'll tell you what. We need to have patience. Because no matter what the Lord is putting you through today, He's going to get glory. If we'll keep our attention on Him. If we'll establish our hearts so they cannot be moved. If we'll keep looking for His return, we can understand. God wants to use our lives. It says, behold, we count them happy which endure. I'll tell you what. There's one thing that I've started praying about more than anything in my life. I want to finish well. I can't pray too much about the beginning. That was a long time ago. But I'm starting to pray about finishing. That's if I get the full three score and ten. That's only twenty years away. You know what? We need to we need to start paying attention to this thing. I think the Lord's going to come back before that twenty years is up. I really believe it with all my heart. But you know what? He could not come back for another two thousand if he wants. It's his time clock, not mine. Verse 12, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. So he's going through here and he's saying, patience. Be patient in waiting on the Lord. Set your heart firmly. Be patient when people do things wrong against you, understanding that the Lord is going to judge you as well as He's going to judge them. Take the example of the prophets, that it is wonderful to endure and to come out through that time of testing, obedient and dependent upon God. Amen? And... Don't get into this thing of having to prove what you say. You ever met somebody? Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I, I swear, I swear I'm telling the truth. Anytime somebody does that, I, I just put an invisible sign across their chest with my mind's eye. that says, liar, liar, blink, 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 because if they're trying to prove to me how right they are, Then then there's a problem with their veracity. Uh, That's a nice big word if you want to impress someone. Uh, Say, I'm not calling you a liar, I just doubt your veracity. Well, you just called them a liar, only you did a little nicer. Um, The idea here is your word ought to be good enough. When you say something, it ought to mean something. You know what? They'd put every politician out of business. That quick. When's the last time you heard a politician say something they meant? Unless they're talking about pay raises. That one they normally, they're very serious about. You better be careful. I always get nervous. I mean, a couple, what was it, last year sometime, I had a guy come in and he said... We're going to save you money on your electric bill and all this. And I said, listen, uh, I've had so many of you guys in here. I said, I'm, I'm sick of it unless you can put it in writing. Just go away. And, oh, no, we can do this. And he said, then he said, I'm a such and such wasn't Baptist, praise God, preacher. And, And I'm telling you that I can really help you. That's when I really started worrying. I said, okay, what can I say now? The guy's told me he's a preacher. I can't tell him to get lost and leave me alone. Okay, put it in writing, bring it down. Sure enough, just another one of those big lies that they were going to save us money. And let me me tell you something. Let your word be worth something. Be patient enough not to say something you don't mean. That's that's what it's saying there. How many of you have ever just lost your temper? I'm going to kill you! You don't mean that. Don't say it. Don't train people not to believe you. And by the way, as a Christian, you ought never say those words. Amen? That's breaking one of the commandments. You see, I've got to be patient. I've got to establish my heart. I mean, I've got to set it fixed. I don't have time or right or reason to grudge against another person, even if they do me wrong. I'm going to take the prophet's example. And it's better to endure and come out the other side still trusting in the Lord than it is to end up like Jonah when we end the book. The sour, disgruntled, bitter man at the end of the book, he was still prophet of God. I'll tell you what, God will let you sour in your juice if that's what you so desire. He won't stop you. But you'll sure be the one that suffers for it. Because we get down to this next part. It says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. And the last, from here to the end of the book, is about prayer. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. If you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart, sing songs. Sing songs to the Lord. You know what? Sometimes it's better to sing them to the Lord on the inside than to sing them on the outside and disturb everyone around you. Amen? Uh, The Lord will uh, enjoy those things, offer those songs to Him. But listen, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is one of those verses that has just been pulled so much, so far, out of context that it almost borders blasphemy. It really does. I put a note in your outline here. Do you know oil in the first century was one of the chief medicines that they had available to them? Do you know that? Olive oil, I believe it is, or, or garlic oil actually will rid your body of all kinds of infection. Uh, olive oil is one of the most healing things that you can put on, your, on yourself. What it's talking about here is, hey, the first place you ought to look when you get sick is not in the pill box and not to the doctor. You ought to look to the Lord. And I am available to pray. I I will come and pray. That's the elders is the pastor of the church. And we believe that you ought to seek medical attention. It's not unbiblical. When Stephen had his appendix burst on him. He needed to be operated on. That's nothing wrong with that one. Brother Dave burned his arm. He went to the emergency room, and he should have. But you know what? We prayed. I was 2,500 miles away at a preacher's meeting when, when I got the call from Julia saying, We're taking Stephen to the hospital. I, I think we're going to have to operate on him. They're, they're going to have, she didn't do anything. Um, you know what I did? I went to some of my preacher's brothers and I said, you know, my, my son Stephen's in the hospital having an append- his appendix taken out. Would you pray for him? You know what a comfort that was? You know what a blessing it is to hear, hey, my arm's healed up so fast, I don't even know what to say except praise the Lord. Uh, that's what this verse is talking about. It's not wrong to seek medical attention. In fact, many times it's wrong not to seek Proper medical attention. But your heart better be toward God. Don't pray to the doctor. Pray to God to give the doctor ability. Amen? And that's all this verse is talking about. I mean, I don't know what, where TBN would be if it weren't for anointing of oil. I mean, I don't know what they would do. You know what? We don't need... Physical things that we can hold in our hands when we can talk to God. But what is the, the plea here? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know what that means? Effectual is knowing how to pray for things that God wants to do. Effectual means to change. It means to make things happen. And God wants us to pray for things that He wants to do. Fervent. You know what that means? That means hot. That means with passion. Uh, Sometimes I I just, as a pastor, I I don't know what to do about our prayer meeting. It, It just, okay, let's pray through the prayer list. That's not fervent. A lot of those prayers aren't going to get much accomplished. But I'll tell you, the effectual fervent prayer, a lot of that needs to happen at home. A lot of that needs to happen in private. I remember reading a, a memorable quote, and I wish I could remember the book, but it says, He who prays carefully at home does not need to pray long in public. And he was addressing the long, flowery prayers that sometimes get prayed in churches and things like that where other people are listening. They're not praying to God. They're praying so everybody else will hear. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Uh, let me ask you, can a righteous man be carrying grudges for other, toward other people and still be righteous? No. Can a righteous man not have his heart established in the word of God, looking for the second coming of the Lord? If he's righteous, that's where he's got to be. If he's not there, he's not righteous. Uh, If he's blaming God for things that are happening in his life, guess what? He's not righteous. Because the key to righteousness is God is right. You can't have righteousness without that. And if you want your prayers answered, that's where you got to be. Don't think because you got a little vial of oil that God's going to do something for you. Uh uh-uh. uh. God can do it with or without, He can heal. And sometimes God chooses not to heal, but He's still righteous. It says here, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Listen. How many times have you ever noticed this in your life? You're struggling and you're praying. And all of a sudden God starts answering prayer. And then you start thinking of things in your life that aren't quite right with God the way they ought to be. And he brings that to mind and says, you need to get this right. Has anybody else ever had that happen? Well, you see... It's not some magical formula. It's when you draw closer to God, what are you going to be faced with first? Your own sinfulness. You want to deal with someone else who's got real sin problems in their life? Pray for them. Pray that they'll, get a, they'll step a little close enough to God that they'll be convicted. And if you try to convict them, guess what? That's not going to work. Only when God convicts them. Now, does that mean we shouldn't name sin? No, absolutely not. The Bible tells us to name sin. That's part of preaching. Sin is still sin. No matter what it is, whether it's gossiping or immorality of so many varieties that we wouldn't even have time to name them all, nor would we want to tonight. God still calls sin, sin. But... When you get with God and he convicts you, he will change you from your sins. And that's what the last part of this is about. And it gives us the example of Elias or Elijah. It says, he was a man subject to like passions as we are. How many of you know that Elijah tried to quit on God? Actually got it done about 18 years early. He just sat around, twiddled his thumbs, all except for a couple letters to Ahab for the last As many as 18 years of his life. Why? Because he was a man subject to like passions as we are. But God still answered his prayer and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Could you imagine what the land looked like after three and a half years of no dew and no rain? There wasn't a living thing left. Only where the springs of water came up out of the ground. It says he prayed again and it rained. And the God that answered Elijah's prayers wants to answer your prayers. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. The Bible tells us to watch one for another. To be concerned about what's going on in their life. But be careful. But if we can pray someone back to the Lord. Guess what? God will judge his own. Read the book of 1 John. It talks about a sin unto death. How do you know that you've sinned unto death? Well, it's real easy. You are dead. If you're still alive, you haven't got there yet. And I can give you stories of people I know who passed that border. Who just shortly before they died. I remember one story very poignantly. Very, I, I was just a little child when it happened. But this man told my mother. It was actually one of my uncle's. He said, I wouldn't surrender to be a preacher. He was in a car wreck. The people that helped him out of the wreck moved him. He had a broken neck and severed the spinal cord in the neck. He lived about six weeks in an iron lung. He was able to communicate during that six weeks. And he said, I know I disobeyed God and there's no chance for me ever to do right. I believe I'll see my Uncle Johnny in heaven. Because God doesn't take away your salvation. But it says, if you'll convert him, if someone was able to get alongside of him and help him see the error of his way, he wouldn't have had to die. You know what? When people step out of the way, there's a lot more sins added to the list. We need to pray one for another. Don't go around playing the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I know the difference? If you have to ask, you're over the line. That's how simple it is. You, you just need to pray. and see. And so often, one of the most powerful things, tools, that you can use or be used of in your life is just you being faithful where God has put you. That is one of the most powerful tools. I don't know how many people I've met over the years. And, and they'll come to church and then they'll disappear and I'll see them. And, 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 uh, and they'll come back and, and, and uh, uh, most of them will never come back in the church again. You know, and my message is always the same. Hey, we're still here doing exactly what we did when you left. And when you're ready... We'll still be here and the doors are open. You know, we're not afraid to help someone get closer to Jesus. Amen. That's what church is about. Where else are you going to get it done? And what we need to do is just simply be faithful to the Lord. You know what it's called? Being patient. We love patient people. We hate being patient. And yet, if we're going to serve God, that's what we've got to be. It's patient. And all God's people said, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful book. And Lord, how many things we've covered in the last 12 lessons on this book. An entire lifetime of living, and if we could only just grab a hold of these commands that are in the book. In the book of James, five short chapters. Lord, I ask that you would work in our midst, that we may just simply lay hold of your word and live it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just give an opportunity to slip out of your seat, spend some time at the altar if you need to. We won't be...